caught offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes, caught offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Um, I'm an uncle again, so that's nice. Whoa, what? Yeah. My brother Eamon and his wife Yongkong had a healthy baby boy. So welcome, Oshin, see you, Devani, to the world. This is unbelievable news. I, I literally am finding out with all of you. I thought we were friends. I, I only found out a couple of hours ago. And, you know, you tried to keep me at arm's distance from your family, so I'm doing the same thing. I should have been there for the birth. I, I thought we were close. <laughs> Listen, we'll be close when you invite me over for Passover. That's when we'll be You've close. been to my house many times. Yeah, invite me for one of the high holidays or forget about it. Well, I've successfully made this birth about me, <laughs> which is what I you set have. out to do. That's amazing. Congratulations to you, to, you. to everyone. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope the baby's doing well. That's yeah, great. a little bit of a ray of joy on a, a, a difficult morning. So, for... yeah. So let's talk, JJ. So, like, oftentimes when we do this show, I generally feel like we do a – we know our audience. We've been doing this for, all, you know, eight years um, we, we generally, I feel like know what our audience wants and what we want. And oftentimes the two are aligned and I feel like we've come up with a rundown and it's, and it's pretty much like, you know, we know how it's going to go. Premier League, Champions League. There's some, like, this is one of those days when I sat down to kind of like go through, okay, what should we talk about? I don't, I don't know. I feel like I don't have a great sense of where people want us to go, what people want us to start with, because there are. There are so many things happening right now that on a, on their own could be entire shows. I mean, I'm looking at a rundown in front of me, JJ, of massive Champions League fixtures that have taken place over the past couple of days, a couple of huge midweek Premier League fixtures that have occurred over the past couple of days, a settlement in the years-long battle between the U.S. Women and the U.S. Soccer Federation, the start of MLS, which like the start of our domestic season should be a huge deal. It's buried under just like a mound of things. And then, J.J., there's this whole thing happening in Russia and Ukraine, which I don't know, you know, if I know you're like me and that happened and immediately my head is turned towards that. And it's the only thing that I'm reading about, watching. I was ready to go to bed last night and then it seemed like the invasion was occurring. And obviously with that, there are massive footballing implications as well this this is when i think about podcasts we've done i can't think of too many that included more big stories than whatever it is we're about to do here yeah and and this is not a podcast for those who believe that podcasts should only be about football and that stick to sports is a real thing in the world. The intersectionality of sport and politics is always been a thing. They cannot be just removed from each other. And this is one of those days where they collide in a, in a serious way. So we'll start with, with that. You know, we'll get to, obviously there's a ton with the champions league, Weston McKinney, that injury and how that impacts the U S men, the Premier league. I know a lot of people were, were at me on Twitter after Tottenham did exactly what I said was more than possible losing to the, Burnley, Liverpool. The animals on Reddit are calling you old Nostradamus Andy. I mean, anybody that's... Then they're going to have to call a lot of Tottenham fans that because anybody that has followed this club for any period of time knew that that was distinctly possible. Your club, Liverpool, have now 
in my estimation, given us the title race that I thought we would be getting. That has come to fruition. Um, but let's start, JJ, with with the soccer implications of what's going on right now uh, in Russia and Ukraine. Um, obviously, the, the there's a lot of big elements to this, none bigger necessarily than the the Champions League final, which was set to take place in St. Petersburg. Uh, it now appears that UEFA, after an emergency meeting, have stripped St. Petersburg of the right to host that event. Uh, there will be an emergency meeting of the executive committee um, to determine where that will now be played. I mean, it's only the biggest game in domestic soccer that is now just a couple months out looking for a new venue because of extraordinary action going on in that part of the world. Uh, UEFA released a really, they released a couple statements, but the second of which was a really strong one, um, condemning Russia's actions, extending a a hand to the Ukrainian people. Um, So this is, this obviously has um, become a major sports story as well. Yeah, we should clarify exactly, you know, we're talking about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. The, The Russian state has invaded a sovereign nation. Let's just say that straight away. That's what's happened. Um, there's there's so many elements to this, Andrew, as well. Um, not to mention that, you know, one of the major sponsors of this, the major sponsor of the Champions League for the past decade or more has been Gazprom, the Russian-owned entity, which is part state-owned, if not all state-owned. Mm-hmm. Um, Schalke have tweeted this. Following recent developments, FC Schalke 04 have decided to remove the logo of main sponsor Gazprom from the shirt, club's shirts. It will be replaced by lettering reading Schalke 04 instead. Now, a sponsor that they've had, by the way, since 2007. Yeah. Now, uh, Gazprom and the Russian state are... Their, their tentacles go through the Champions League in a really, really significant way. And I'm wondering what action Russia will take against UEFA for the removal of the Champions League from St. Petersburg, which has not been confirmed yet, but that's what we believe is going to happen. That's what the Associated Press and Rob Harris are reporting. What might Russia do to UEFA in this case? Well, I don't... Which all seems... seems, And please don't get me wrong. I'm not being glib here. What what is happening now in Ukraine is is horrendous. But looking from from a football standpoint, oh, it's well, certainly the by far the most trivial element of all of this. But yeah, but this but, is a soccer podcast, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the soccer implications. Um, the question you ask is a good one. It's actually not one I had really contemplated. Yeah, well, I, I, considering Russia's ability or what we believe is its ability to launch cyber attacks against its enemies, or its what which it purports to be its enemies. Um, what might they? What could they do to UEFA? How could they disrupt UEFA? Yeah, that's what I, I thought of. I mean, what I don't envision is them pulling their clubs out of UEFA competitions. Like you know, later today, Zenit St. Petersburg are going to face Real Betis in the second leg of their Europa League tie. Um, I mean, at this point, that's still scheduled to go ahead, and I don't, I don't foresee any scenario where that gets postponed. Uh, well, Betis, should... Betis lead that right now three two on aggregate. Um, so after today, it might be a moot point. Um, there's a chance that that Zenit could be out, um, but yeah, I, I don't envision their clubs being pulled out of of these European tournaments. There's a, it's a little bit down the line, but not not that much further down the line. We're almost in March, and in a, in a day or a morning rather of statements, there's been a joint statement which was issued from Warsaw, from Poland, Sweden, and the Czech Republic football associations. 
reading, based on the current alarming development in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, including the security situation, the football associations of Poland, Sweden and the Czech Republic expressed their firm position that the playoff matches to qualify for the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar, scheduled for the 24th and the 29th of March 2022, should not be played in the territory of the Russian Federation. The signatories to this appeal do not consider traveling to Russia and playing football matches there. The military escalation that we are observing entails serious consequences and considerably lower safety for our national football teams and official delegations. Therefore, we expect FIFA and UEFA to react immediately and to present alternative solutions regarding places where these approaching playoff matches could be played. Now, of course, in path B, just to explain that one, Russia play Poland at home. Sweden play the Czech Republic and the winners, I believe, would play the final of path B in Russia. And these federations, the Polish, the Swedes and the Czechs are saying they they won't have this. Which to me right now in this moment sounds appropriate. Um, Not not even necessarily from the moral perspective, but from a from a security perspective. Is that is that the safest place to be playing major soccer matches of global consequence. Um, because we don't know, you know, we're only one day into this. We don't know what, what the environment of this conflict between Ukraine and Russia will look like at the time that that game is being played. So I think having alternative plans for where that should be played is is more than appropriate at this stage, just simply out of us not knowing where things will be at that point. Yeah, it's... I, I sound like such a, a war reporter. I'm sitting in a in an apartment in Brooklyn, but... It is fair to say that the situation is fluid. You know, we know that there is a, an aggression, an attack on Ukraine right now. Where that stops, what the, the ultimate endgame of Russian forces incursions into Ukraine are, we don't know. So it's, it makes total sense that the Czechs, the Swedes and the, the Polish would, would take this action. JJ, you tweeted something earlier today that I had forgotten about. Not that I forgot it happened, but I, it just hadn't dawned on me. You tweeted... Um, about how you were in Kiev back yeah. for the the Champions League final between Real Madrid and Liverpool and how we did a podcast with you in the back of a taxi cab going through Kiev and, and you posted the video going over the river. Um, I don't know, it almost, even though it wasn't me that was there, it was you that was there and it's you that explored that city and got to know people there. And um, I don't know, it almost brought it home in a, in a different way. It did and I dug out the video last night and watched it as I crossed the Dnieper River going into Kiev. <laughs> Just as, a, as an aside, the funny thing was you were frantic back in the studio. You wanted to get recording. We had a, we had a tight timeline in terms of um, the time difference. And I'm outside the airport waiting for a cab while all these UEFA people who've come in. Um, I say UEFA people, people who've got special category status like They've got the elite seats at the Luzhniki Stadium. <laughs> they're getting off their planes and all these corporate sponsors are taking them in these Audis and they're all shooting off, whereas the rest of us schlubs are in, in, in a line waiting for cabs. So I eventually got in a cab and you just said, hey, man, we can't, you know, we can't get back to your, to your, to your hotel where you're staying. We got to do this now. And so we recorded it in the back of the cab. And I remember asking in the limited Russian that uh, my girlfriend had scrolled down for me asking the, the the cab driver to be could he be quiet could he turn the radio off <laughs> so i could record the podcast and he was so nice about it and one thing i remember andrew was 
uh, after that phone call, after the, the podcast and after I checked in with you, rolling down the window of the cab and the lovely warm breeze coming off the dinner per it was it was like early summer mm. and it, it was just beautiful clear air that just that warm feeling that smell of summer and uh, i had a great couple of days there and i, I yeah I, I thought about that last night and i thought about the poor people in kiev which by the way this was when i visited although there's there's been you know the annexation of the crimea and the the issues in 2014 Kiev was not a city where you flew into and thought, "Oh, oh there's tension here." Mm-hmm. It, it By the way, that very... was that was being reported even within the last two days. Yeah, it was in twenty in the May 2018. It's it was a very normal place to be, a very a very lovely place to be, and um, yeah, it, it just brought me back to it that uh, at the time and some of the people I met, and um, it's it's crazy to think that that place now is in 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 danger under no, it's attack. It's awful. It's awful. Um, and then finally, this will kind of bridge us between this topic and then the next one, which will be the Champions League, JJ. There was um, a lot of eyes in the UK are now turning to Chelsea. Um, yes. Tarek Panja, who's been on this podcast multiple times, who I would suggest you follow him because he's done a, an amazing job, even in just the last 24 hours, of kind of applying this conflict to the, the soccer world. Um, he was... He has an article up and was tweeting earlier today about the situation with Chelsea and their owner, Roman Abramovich. Um, He says, Labor MP Chris Bryant told Parliament, citing a confidential government document, that Roman Abramovich, quote, remains of interest to UK government due to his links to the Russian state and his public association with corrupt activity and practices. Uh, Chelsea are not commenting at this time. So this will now become... um, I mean, it's already been on the radar, I think, for a few years. He had visa problems yeah. of getting back into Great Britain. Um, but this, I think, will shine an even greater spotlight on uh, on his time as owner of this club. Certainly. Um, I was listening to the second captain's podcast there a couple of days ago. Ken Early suggested that Abramovich is now Portuguese citizenship <laughs> um, to add to, I believe, his Israeli citizenship as well. So I don't know if that makes a difference in this context uh, but that's very interesting. Um, his his relationship to Putin, the the general oligarchs who have power in football and their relationship to Putin will now definitely become um, come under the spotlight uh, even even closer. Uh, I just wanted to mention this, Andrew, because um, Michael Goodman was always an interesting follow on Twitter, not just from the stats side side of, side of things, but. Um, when he wrote for Grantland, which is still, you can still get great Grantland articles, even though it technically doesn't exist anymore. They're still online. They're still up there. Mm. And he tweeted an article he wrote in 2014, in March 2014, on Gazprom Putin and the intersection of global politics and soccer. And this one stood out to me. So if you're in any doubt as to why a soccer podcast this morning might be talking about all the implications and all the connections and all the um, symbiosis between this situation and, and football. Um, this is a paragraph that jumped out to me from Michael. It's downright unnerving that there is a direct line between Russia's energy policy, which is a big and important deal when it comes to things like the entire world not blowing itself up, and the reunion of Hulk and Andrei Vyazhpolis, a big deal when it comes to me having to find creative ways to watch the Russian Premier League. In 2011, when Schalke sold Manuel Neuer to Bayern Munich, Russian President Vladimir Putin personally attempted to stop the transfer. 
Maybe all this means is that Putin is a big fan of ball-playing goalkeepers, or maybe there's something more complex going on. Either way, it's certainly notable just how involved Putin can be in his sports interests. Hmm. That's why... That's why I wonder what happens now considering or when it's confirmed that the Champions League won't be on Russian soil. Very interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't think I don't think there's any way of knowing. By the way, I believe Michael L. Goodman had been living in Ukraine. He had. I think, and only recently, I guess, was left um, with the I think tensions his wife escalating. Was working for the U.S. government and yeah. in the embassy, I believe. Yeah. And... Um, and he got out two weeks ago, so. Yeah. Jeez. What an awful, just awful situation. God. It is dreadful. And and you also feel helpless because uh, what, practic- what practical thing can we do here except send our support to the people there? Yeah, of course. Nothing else. Of course. So with that, um, we there's no easy transition, but we'll, of course, go into some of the regular soccer that's gone on over the past few days. And Lord knows there's, there's plenty regular to get to. Regular soccer. <laughs> and we'll start with the Champions League, and we'll start with the club we were just talking about, Chelsea, uh, going up against Lille. Uh, and it was a pretty – I mean, look, Chelsea have not been great no. of, of late. We've talked extensively about that. So this was ideal winning. This was ideal for them, though, because they, they won this game, which obviously – I mean, now – for them, all eyes are turning towards the Champions League as it looks like they're not going to be a part. Even with City you know, kind of bringing us back into a title race, Chelsea are not going to be a part of it. So they've got a League Cup this weekend, which will be huge for them. But the Champions League and defending their title is really now what their focus is going to be. So for them to play well there, it matters more, quite frankly. Um, and they did. They won and they played well. They, they played okay. Um, they... I mean, Mika Richards really just went in on Lille. <laughs> he just said he couldn't believe how poor they were. Um, and then they, the Paramount crew started talking about the inequalities in football between the Premier League and the rest of Europe. But we'll park well, that for yeah. a minute. <laughs> don't Let's we have, don't we have enough, JJ? Why? Yeah, we have. We, yeah, no, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just leave it alone. I think Andrew, in the absence of their their wing backs, uh, Reese James, and obviously I'm Ben Chilwell. Um, and Chilwell, who's been out, who, yeah, who's who's out for the season. Uh, obviously, with those noted absences, I think this is their best side. So that's a, uh, you know, Christensen, Silva, and Rudiger, and then Azpilicueta, Kante, Kovacic, Marcus Alonso, Ziyech, Havertz, and Pulisic. And obviously, conversation has turned to Lukaku. He's on the bench again. Um, I don't. I mean, Timo Werner came on and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. In their best lineup, Andrew, in the lineup that's going to try and defend the cup, the Champions League cup trophy, it's he's not a part of it. And I think Havertz's performance, Pulisic's performance, means that I think whatever way this goes, Lukaku is going to continue to be disgruntled. Instead of being disgruntled on the field, though, as we saw at the weekend, He's going to have to deal with being disgruntled on the bench. It just, it, w- it was so interesting to hear Thierry Henry talk about this because, you know, being an assistant coach in the Belgian side, he, he, was, he was very frank and honest in an invidious position on the, on the coverage when Carragher asked him, you know, what, what can Lukaku do? And Henri said, it's not a case of Tuchel bending to Lukaku's strengths. It's got to be the other way around. And it's got to be that... Lukaku changes his game and does the things that he never u- usually does. 
which is be able to be fluid, swap, you know, swap flanks, be fluid like that front three Havertz, Pulisic, and Ziyech are. It's not really, it's not really his game. He's much more central. He's going to have to press. He's going to have to do all these things. I think it's it's academic now. I think it's too late. I think he's out of the side, and I don't see him starting in the games of import. Well, here's the issue. There's a couple things. One, um, Chelsea have played a lot of important games in a in a tight window, and that is coming back to bite them. They lost two massively important players in this game who had to come off early for injury, Kovacic and Ziyech. Um, I don't know the exact extent of their injuries just yet. Uh, I think maybe there's a hope that they could be available still for the Carabao Cup this weekend, but that's not it's not good. So, you know, Chelsea have played a lot of games, um, so things are still going to happen. So there, there's no, for me, there's no scenario where we just don't see Lukaku again for Chelsea. And the other thing is, like I talked about, if the Champions League is going to be their most important competition the remainder of the way, which it undoubtedly is, then the Premier League can almost be used as like, a training ground for what they want to do in the in the Premier League, and it might give Lukaku opportunities to prove to reprove himself to Tuchel in Premier League fixtures. If they're trying to keep certain players fresh for upcoming Champions League matches, maybe you'll see a rotation in Premier League games for Chelsea, and maybe that will involve him going into the side. And so, I, I still think he'll have an opportunity to play his way back in to Tuchel's good graces. I I don't see it. I can't see it, and he's not part. It's not that's not to suggest he can't have an impact in in games. But Chelsea's best team doesn't include him right now. Right now, no, you're, it certainly does not. And you saw that Kai Havertz was very good. Felt like he could have had a hat trick in the first ten minutes of this game. Uh, he scored one, scored in the eighth minute. Chelsea's earliest goal in the Champions League knockout stage since you won't get this. Samuel Eto'o in 2014, round of 16 against Galatasaray. I would have got that if you let me. Yeah, no, okay. Uh, Chelsea four and zero. Outscoring opponents 11-0 at Stamford Bridge in the Champions League this season. They know how to, they know Tuchel can do this. <laughs> like He's got this competition down right now. How many um, trophies uh, can definitely retain this, this cup? This is, this is what he can do for sure. The league aside, he can definitely, it's not beyond Chelsea to, to retain this trophy. And of course, JJ, we're, I mean, what do you think we're going to make it through talking about this game without mentioning Christian Pulisic scoring for Chelsea? It's only fitting that the American made it dos acero in this one as Pulisic. Ugh. Oh, don't ugh. Be proud of that. How dare you? <laughs> I was delighted for him to score, but with every moment. No, you needed people like You needed people like that. you were chipping away at my joy. I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, it was his first Champions League goal this season, sixth of his career, third in the knockout stage. Um, Jamie Carragher afterwards had, you talk about high praise. Here's what he said about Pulisic. He said, I think he's got more quality than Mason Mount, Ziyech, Havertz. Technically in movement with the ball, he's the best player I've seen quality-wise. I just haven't seen it enough. Um, which I he think is, is really, it's high praise, but it's also him kind of couching it at the end there, I think is also fair whether that be down to inconsistency or more so down to injury. He gets he gets away with that because he's Jamie Carragher. I got put on toast by Chelsea fans at the start when Pulisic made it. I didn't think it was a difficult start. I could see the value in him, but he wasn't scoring goals, so it was like, yeah, Matt, the team is rubbish. <laughs> I th- I thought he was I thought he was good very first season and and the underlying metric said he was and I said I think he's a better he's potentially a better footballer than than Mason Mount got absolute oh my god I got destroyed for it I was told, I was called a stupid yank yeah stick to baseball what a- I often say that to you 
Be Quiet, Big Nose, all those. <laughs> really? No, I made oh, that one up. Okay. I do um, have a big nose. I didn't make that up, though. Uh, but one of the things that was interesting about that, though, so so Jamie Carragher makes those comments, and they're showing on, on the broadcast, they're kind of showing the highlight reel of Pulisic's performance from this game, and he was excellent. I mean, this was really the, ver- the, the version of him that we've come to know and expect to see, and, and it's good to see him playing that way because there have been questions about some of his recent performances, and he was excellent in this game. His finish on the goal was brilliant. Um, but the one thing Thierry Henry said that was interesting to me he kind of he kind of brought everyone back to earth on this you know on the, in the Pulisic love parade and you know he noted that in all these clips they all have the same thing in common they're all in transition and he's excellent and incredibly dangerous in the open field he's got great speed he's got great control with the ball he's smart um, but for him to kind of make that next leap he's got to be able to do it when defenses are pinned back deep lines it's tougher oh, to break through and 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 I think that's a fair point. I don't think it was Henri raining on any parade. I think that's fair. Henri talked about, you know, Eden Hazard had to learn the same thing and he did and he became one of the best players in the world. And so to even kind of be talking about Pulisic in that category I, I think is praise in itself and it, and I think it is fair. I think even Christian Pulisic would say, yeah, there's elements of my game that I need to get better at. He's lethal in transition. He can get better in other areas. I, I thought it was fair. Yeah, um, just to switch it and I, I don't mean to Rain on, as you said, the Pulisic party, the Pulisic parade. But Tim Weah not coming off the bench, not featuring at all. Um, you know, he has won a league there at Lille. He's never been an, a guaranteed starter for the side. Um, I know Goal had a piece recently where Weah said, this season has been slow, but I'm taking it day after day and step by step. As an attacker, you want to score or assist all the time, but sometimes it just does not happen. I'm going through one of those seasons of just not scoring, but I will keep my morale and team spirit high. Whenever I'm out there, I give 100% and do what I can. When I am with the U.S. men's national team, though, I feel a bit more comfortable, and I am in my happy space when there. It's just a learning experience, and I need to keep going and fighting through it. I just, I, I feel with way, Andrew, he needs to, kind of needs to really just lock down that, that league, that club starting spot, you know? I mean, He's played. He's featured nineteen matches in Ligue 1, uh, four Champions League matches. I'm not saying he's he's not a part of that setup, but, but he's rotational. He's not. He's not yeah. a sure thing by any means. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm a little bit um, a little bit perturbed by that. All right, I get that. Maybe he'll just wind up being one of these country over club guys, an American Brian Ruiz. Yeah, he's 22 now, though. He needs to start being a, a regular, a regular. Certainly. Uh, so Chelsea dos acero into the second leg. Uh, against Lille. Uh, we move on, JJ, from the good performance of Christian Pulisic to just to just devastation. Villarreal, Juve. It's now time for the why God why portion of the show. Uh, so I saw I saw Ari, um, Ari Lillianwall, who's been on this show before, talking about the yeah. Seattle Sounders. Um, here's what he tweeted. I wonder if this captures the mood. Um he said, well, Weston McKinney fracturing his foot ruined my entire day. It gives me horrible anxiety for March qualifiers. That's probably the worst thing that could have happened to the team and the worst possible timing. It's actually incredible how bad that is. It, it was a day runner. There's no question about that. Tough to see for a guy who has been playing, I don't know, what would you say? Like maybe the best soccer of his career? Oh, I, I think it's his best run Best run for Juve, but definitely his best run for the U.S. men's national team. 
Um, I, I did that thing that I shouldn't do where I watched the injury over and over again. Yeah. And it's just such a classic metatarsal where your toes are going right into the, right into the turf, like right down like a spear and, and the foot can't take that with the torque on it. And um, it reminded me of the Rooney one. Uh, look, it can take, depending on a lot of factors. It's eight to 12 I, weeks. That's what, that's what it's been reported. No matter, yeah. no matter what, he's not playing in those three World Cup qualifiers. I know that there's, I, we are again being very selfish here uh, and looking at purely the American World Cup qualifying <laughs> angle of this. Obviously, there's a guy involved here. I feel terrible for him. And by the way, yeah. he, he probably feels sick that he can't play in those games. Sure. Um, and he may be done for the season for Juve. And, and that's difficult under any circumstances. But when you're actually playing this well, when everything is clicking for you abroad, domestically, like it's, it sucks. It sucks. It I feel does. terrible for him. It does, and one of your favorite Twitter followers had this. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know where I sit on 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 this tweet, but it was MLS buzz. Okay, and and that guy said that, you know, why is the the attitude of U.S. men's national team fans the sky is falling when Weston McKinney comes out of the side? Like, and he's not asking why. He understands he's an important player, but he's just saying that. If you look at say Canada, our rivals, they can you know they can rotate their midfielders. You know they can they can have key players missing and look what still they just win. did without Alfonso Davies, who's the, the best player not just for Canada but in this region. They can they can they can do it and and they can keep going and they can beat the 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 other rival to the to the crown in this region, which is the U.S. men's national team without key players. Why can't we? And the implication in the whole thing was that. Canada have a system where players can come in and come out and they've got a, a style and a way of playing that's that's really fermented and and is working and that we don't and that comes back to the manager. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, look, to say the sky is falling, I I still firmly believe that the U.S. can lose Weston McKinney and still do what needs to be done in these final three qualifiers to qualify for the World Cup. Like, I, I don't... It makes me a little more nervous. Any team losing their best player, I would think it's natural to be a little bit more nervous. And he has been that of late. Um, but so I, I mean, I have down here. I don't know if you did this, but I, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta write my feelings out. So I, I wrote out what I think the lineup might now look like. Um, and just some of this could change. The important stuff is the McKinney angle, but I put Matt Turner in goal because I still don't know what the deal is with Zach Steffen and his injury. Uh, Anthony Robinson is obviously a lock at left back, Dest at right back. Uh, the center backs, I don't know. We can talk about this later. For now, I, John Brooks has been playing well, so I, I put him back in there for now, but that could just as easily be Miles Robinson. I put Walker Zimmerman in there. Um, in the midfield, JJ, okay, so Adams is, is a lock. As long as he's healthy, he's, he's there. I put Yunus Musa in there. And then what do we think about what we saw from Luca De La Torre? How would you feel if he now goes into the midfield? I, I thought he was good from 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 what we saw. I like the way he advanced the ball. Thought I, you know. Because um, here's my question. Then he's I'll, not gonna do he's not gonna do what McKinney does, though. He's not that kind he's not that kind of player, but he's certainly energetic and can replace that energy. I mean he did I a great job of carrying the ball from you know midfield into attack. 
Yeah. Uh, maybe he won't be quite the goal scoring threat that McKinney has become, but I think he can certainly do a lot of other things that are are really dangerous. So I, would... I but there's a real chance, Andrew, that there's whatever you think or whatever you you know what about this guy coming in? There's a real chance that Greg reconfigures it and goes to Kellen Acosta. Well, so well, there's there's that. He's the other name that I was considering. In fact, it's probably going to happen. And then up front, I had Polisic on the left. Wea on the right. I put Jordan Pifak in the middle, and we can have a separate conversation on that. Um, but the, 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 that's like if they go with their standard four three three. The question is Greg- if, if they if Weston McKinney's injury is such that it is so important to the structure of the team that they're going to actually change things up and find a Correct. way to get Aronson in there. Um, that that's the that's what I don't know. That's what I look I can't. at you. Look at you thinking Pifak's even going to be in the squad. Well, can we just can we just mention this for a sec because. I, I, it has to be mentioned. We've gone too long with, is it Sergeant? Well, it's probably still Peppy if everyone... How long are we going to ignore this? It's JJ, 20 goals and 4 assists in 34 matches across all competitions this season. He leads all scorers in the Swiss Super League with 15 goals. These last three games are about just like, yeah, chemistry and everything. That obviously matters. He's played with this team before. So I wouldn't think it would be that difficult. We need guys who are just in form and healthy and playing well. And he's on fire. Like he's he's been excellent. Andrew, Andrew, we Greg Berhalter, I like it's the same kind of argument I've had with someone who was who was advancing the idea of, of if Josie hits form, him coming back in. Greg Berhalter has this thing about movement and verticality and P Fock doesn't really fit that that profile. And we'll see. Maybe maybe he comes in. Maybe he comes in. I don't know. Um, so, yeah. So, that I mean, that's – I know that our breakdown of Villarreal and Juventus just turned into a Weston McKinney event session. Yeah, um, you need to you need to shut your American pie hole right now. Um, but, yeah, so we continue. <laughs> uh, we continue to Wednesday's games, Atletico Madrid and Manchester United. Fun game. Rough first half for Manchester United. Twitter was not kind to them. No, their ex-players weren't kind to them. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Smyker and their oh own fans. God, it they... was it was it, it was kind of a bloodbath. I think it was just kind of the crystallization of like a low morale point, and just like oh man, this is going to seep into the Champions League too. This is you know, but it turned around a great result, like a super result. Yeah, and in the, and in the old days, it would have been an amazing result because they'd have that precious away goal to take back to uh, the good ship Old Trafford, but they don't they don't have that now. So it you know it is in the balance somewhat, but I mean Atleti Simeone, I would say he put on a rage fest at the end of that game, the like of which you've never seen. I think he went full Tom Waits on stage, just flailing around in that suit of his. Um, it was, it was. I I really do agree with the general sense. Uh, I think it was Guillaume Balaguer who said. For some reason in the second half. Now, United, in fairness, Ranick did make good substitutions mm-hmm. that helped things. But, you know, there's no way Atleti should have come out with less. They should have scored maybe two, maybe three goals. And the fact that they didn't and that they're coming away from home from the Wanda with a 1-1, like that, that is just not good enough for them. No. Definitely not. Especially with the way they played. Like you said, they'll be disappointed by that. They came out and they looked so good in that first half. They scored quickly. The Zhao Felix header was a really nice goal, uh, very aesthetically pleasing. Wasn't quite a diving header, sort of. Kind of. A- no, he stayed. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. What is it? The baseball term lay out for it. Right. Is that it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
he didn't he didn't do that um but it was it was brilliantly executed and he had to stretch to get on it and it was perfect in off the post the hair was rooted nothing he could do there yeah yeah it was it was a great goal a truly great goal and there were some funny moments as well it's amazing how just you know football fans don't forget and apart from the jeering Ronaldo got on all night, it's like Llorente and Herrera <laughs> were targeting him in the second half. Any chance they could get to like bundle him over or give him a kick, they absolutely did not waste that opportunity. It was, it well, was they, so funny. They kept him almost unprecedentedly quiet. Um, ah, no. Oh, no, no, no. Well, yes, He's, yes, yes. How about uh, there's statistics that back it up. Cristiano Ronaldo, on. he started a Champions League game and created zero chances, zero shots on target, and fewer than a 0.1 uh, XG for the first time since May 3rd, 2011 against Barcelona. Wow. Okay. All right. I was going to say he's been quiet generally, but you've got some Not like that. There. Not, Not like, like that. that. It's been over yeah. a decade since he's had a Champions League night quite so quiet. Yeah, and I, I honestly thought Ranić was playing with fire that he waited so long to get a Lang onto the field. Um, now it must be said, Jan Oblak's positioning, his just everything on the Alanga goal was tre- dreadful. Alanga could miss hit that shot, and it could still trickle by him. Uh, but even still, I thought I thought he he gave United something more. But um, Ronaldo. Bruno Fernandes in the first half, really, really just way off it. And um, Schmeichel kept saying afterwards he felt that there was like tiredness in the group, you know. Well, they're playing. um, I mean, that's possible. They they had a day less rest than Atleti, I know, but. mm. And had to travel. Um, So, but. That that is that's on the table. I think they're in the driving seat now, though, Andrew. I know. I know. Ooh, this. I is don't know. Not to me, fu- this is totally up. Neither one is in the driver's seat. This okay, is a maybe, fascinating second leg for me. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I, I yeah. As they head right. back to the as you now are putting it, the good ship Old Trafford. You ever have? I don't know why, JJ. Every time you say that, I kind of go. Ugh. The good you ship don't old, like it. No, the good ship old Trafford. Like the way you. Yeah, there's certain phrases that just kind of give me like a little like yeah. The chills. Yeah, like when people say he's he spoke truth to power. Oh, that's a terrible. Makes one. me uncomfortable. It's not that I'm against people who speak truth to power, but hearing people say that and the way they kind of just like. Mm. Do you know what does it for me? What like squad goals, life goals. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus! Stop. The good ship Old Trafford. Mm. No, the good ship Old Trafford. I was because it was leaking, and it was yeah. I, oh, ship. I understand. You did a whole thing about it a week ago. <laughs> Trust me, I sat here cringing for a full ten minutes. You, in fairness to you, you are a good sport when 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 you don't ever tell me. Well, you tell me later on about how hard you cringe at things. Yeah, I'm that only choosing you're... this moment to speak truth to power. Oh. God, the idea that I have any power is is hilarious. Uh, Elanga, by the way, fourth youngest player to score uh, for Manchester United in a knockout round match in the um, European Cup or UEFA Champions League. This is a nice emerging story. That's two games in a row where he has scored for them. Uh, and in a season where United are desperate for finding young talent, uh, you know, because guys like Marcus Rashford have just not quite been at the level that we expect oh, them to be. What a light. We talk about lightning rods. The. He was bad. No, there's no question he was bad, but United fans let him have it. Oh. You know why? I think I have a theory. Uh, As he was running around during the game, maybe his hair's been like this for a while and I just haven't paid. 
there was a there was a distinct Zardis look to him. And I think maybe there's a Zardisification of the United fan base and he is now becoming a United Lightning Rod. Zardisification. The fact you even got that word out is is I'm, quite something. I'm a wordsmith. That's yeah. that's I, my I theory. That, it's subliminal. Yeah. I think when when you um football fans love piling on a player who um is perceived to have distractions like the amazing work he did in the last two years for like children uh, impoverished children oh they he's they an amazing guy be, yeah amazing guy but they love to be able to say he's got to stick to you know focus on the soccer you know forget the distractions you know for me uh, that's I don't really have much time for that opinion, to be honest. Yeah, well, people do hold it. Though, yeah, anyway. no, I understand. But, it, yeah, it sets up what should be a really, really interesting second leg um, between those two at the good ship, Old Trafford. <laughs> Finally, J.J., maybe the most exciting match um, of the last couple of days, Benfica and Ajax, 2-2 is how it ends. Um, boy, Sebastian Howler, he can't stop scoring goals for his team and the other team. Um, It was... It wasn't, for me, it wasn't the goal, the own goal or the goal he scored that was the story tonight. It was when he had the chance to make it 3-1, Andrew. Uh, Alvarez hit that cross shot that comes back off the post. Now, it's absolutely traveling, and it's at a bad height. But if Haller can adjust, it's a, it's a tap into the empty net, and it just hits him and goes wide. If he scores that, Ajax are going through. But well, they don't. He, he did score. He had the own goal, and he scored he for, for Ajax. He did, yeah. And Tadic got my favorite goal of the last few months. Yeah, that was a really nice one. Oh, so good, so good. They are um, they are truly enjoyable to watch. I no offense to Benfica, who were good in this game too, but I, I kind of hope this Ajax run continues. I well, enjoyed Rafa them. Silva. Rafa Silva was excellent for Benfica, mm-hmm. but you're not wrong. Ajax are just they're they're wonderful to watch. Um, but again, it should have been two one. Well, Benfica did have chances, but. Uh, uh, Rem, uh, Remco Pasvir, the Ajax goalkeeper, the mistake he made on the equalizer. You just got to tip that over, help it on. And he just gets too much of a paw on it and it goes back into play and it's 2-2. Um, one interesting thing from Benfica, Andrew, was there was a, obviously on Ajax, there was a nice former Premier League mix with Klassen and Haller and Tadic. Mm-hmm. But Benfica too, centre-backs, Vertonghen and Otamendi. Yeah. Center Wild. midfield, Adele Terrapt. Huh? Huh? <laughs> He's still at it. Blast from the past. Yeah. Um, one note on, on Haller. So as I read this to you, I just want you to consider the names, you know, Drogba, Eto, Sala. Sebastian Haller is the first African player to score 11 or more goals in a single Champions League season. Wow. He's the first. And by the way, He's already done that. It's the round of 16. Yeah. Like that would be a su- a more than suitable number all the way through the final of this tournament. <laughs> They're only halfway. Now I don't know how much further they'll go. They could be out after this round, but I I I saw that. I said that's with some of the other names of great African goal scorers. That's unbelievable to me. Uh, so props to him. This this kind of like career rejuvenation has been really really shocking and and fun to watch. Yeah, um, but if you don't do it in the prime, it doesn't matter. Uh, so there you go. That's the Champions League. Let's move quickly now, JJ, the Premier League, where we once again have a full-scale title race as Liverpool mm. just hand one down to lead 6-0. It was horrifying. 
Um, and and here we are, JJ. Here we are. Yeah. Um, it's it's nice and tight. Uh, it's going to require no slip ups. Um, but it's much more engaging than it was a week ago. That's for sure. Um, can I just I, can I just say something to you in your self preservation? Because you can. No, 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 no. You're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that anymore. As you protect you yourself what, from the horrors no, of, of possibly are, losing. You, this is your default. I'm just saying the echoes of 1819, where you thought, oh, what a fabulous title race, and just City won, blitzed off, ripped off 12 wins in a row, and that was it. Game, you know, it was over. Well, That's not a title race. It okay? is. Yeah, That's a it chase. is. No, it's a, it's a race. When, when there's a question, when there's doubt as to who is going to win a title, it's a race. You're. Yeah, you only need the tiny. You clearly only need the tiniest little bit of doubt. Three points isn't tiny. All right, it's that's one game, and you still okay. play them. And, here, and hey, here's, what, here's what I would say to you about this, because you go on and on. Manchester City, they just don't lose. They just don't lose. Liverpool have fewer losses than City this season. You know, mm-hmm. Liverpool don't lose either. Check the it's draw a column as well. It's I'll a race. You're three points draws. back. You're three points back. You still have a uh, game against. Can them. I be honest with you, Andrew? Liverpool I will... are. You talk about oh, Liverpool, the slip ups. Like you guys over the last. The... You had last season where if you want to talk about slip ups, okay, fine. You still finished top four, but okay. But like overall, this era of Liverpool, those slip ups don't happen to you guys either, save one season. Three of the last four seasons, you guys don't really slip up yourselves. You're right what there you... with them, step for step. You barely lost in what was it, ninety nine points to ninety seven points. So like yeah, and, Liverpool and didn't up, really slip up that slip season. Up that, the next, the slip, then the you win the league, ha- barely losing oh all the God. way through, oh and now here God. we are. You've only lost two games this season. You, so th- what are we talking about? You're not that you different than them. You have to do record setting things to keep up with City. That is my main point. Yeah, about and when all I, of and this. what I'm saying to you is, open your eyes. You're doing them. You're right there for them, step for step. The la- over in this era, with that, with the this, exception of one season, this is a stupid argument. I'm not going to engage with this anymore. It is, it is silly. It is absolutely silly. It's a title the bottom, race. The bottom whether line you want you, it to be one or not, three points back. You, Here the we go. Line game for you, on, Andrew. In this race, which like Liverpool are back in it, and Liverpool can win the Premier League, and I am mm-hmm. excited. But the bookies <laughs> and five thirty eight give us a twenty two percent chance of picking up that second Premier League trophy in three years. 22%. Look, I don't know that you're going to win. That is not good. No, my, my debate is not who is going to win. I think Manchester City are going to go on and win as well. Oh. The, the question that we're having is whether or not you can call this a race. And if you're three points out, it's a race. I Okay. All right. Okay, let's, let's stop because this is getting dull and boring. I'm excited. But honestly, this weekend, Sunday, I am all in on that. I am, The league gets parked. We have a cup final on Sunday and a chance to pick up some silverware. I am so pumped for that game. Make the noise again. That's that's the one I'm thinking about. Nothing gets me pumped quite like that horrible sound effect. But it is a good cup final. You can't say it's not. Definitely. Chelsea, Liverpool. Definitely is. Can't wait for that. I don't want to gloss over it. Uh, do you have more to say on it? No, I, ju- I just think, you know, like I said last week, Jamie Carragher saying that that Klopp should really pad out this this CV, this resume rather at Liverpool with the, with these domestic cup competitions. I'm totally in on that, and the fact that it's open and available now, you know, there's a real chance to win it is is great. And going to Wembley is it's exciting, and there's going to be a full house 
it's it's brilliant. It's it's great. I am really pumped for it, and I'm sure there's lots of Chelsea fans who are too. Just one thing on Liverpool versus Leeds. Uh, as good as Liverpool were, and they were good, Leeds Andrew do not change. They don't hunker down. They don't say we've conceded like twenty thousand goals in the last four games. We're going to be a bit more conservative. They're so open, mm-hmm. and I just wonder what the hierarchy at Leeds are thinking right now. How worried are they? Concerned that they'll get pulled further in, or pulled into a relegation battle? Um, how quickly do they need Calvin Phillips back? How quickly do they I, need Banford back? Does it matter to the Leeds hierarchy that the fans still seem to be a hundred percent behind the manager at a club like Leeds? Yes. Okay. Well, then I would yes. say. I mean, this will this will continue. I know. We've said this think... about them for over a year. Yeah, the it's it's of... to be admired, but it's also at a certain point kind of. I mean, you see games like this; they give up four the other day to United. Yeah, you know, it's almost it almost feels foolish at a certain like point. Joel Matip's one-two with Salah. What was it like a twenty-five-yard one-two? <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it's a great finish. Don't get me wrong, but that can't happen. You know, that's too open. That's I played um, five-a-side. On Monday, on Tuesday night, mm. and every goal that was scored was from a one-two because that's the nature of five-a-side. You know, you get the ball, you play it in someone's feet, and then you attack the space and get your shot off. But yeah. this is professional football where space is supposed to be closed down and and lanes are supposed to be blocked. But in Leeds, it's just open season. It's, it's well not good. Well, this weekend we get another one of these low morale cups, JJ. Because Saturday morning at 7.30 Eastern time, Leeds will welcome Spurs to Ellen Road. I, <laughs> what can you say other than it's just so hilariously predictable that they would beat City in the match of the season and then lose to relegation candidates Burnley in a just blah performance. And it's it's unbelievable what Tottenham have done here. They have, I guess they have taught Conte, maybe in record time, what it is to be Spurs. Because after about four months at this club, they have broken him. He's broken. I. It's like, I can never remember, JJ. Are you a South Park guy? I I dip in and out. Okay. There was an episode years ago. I was watching Antonio Conte speak after this match. And it just made me think of an episode of South Park from years ago when Cartman, he's out of control, he's behaving horribly, and so they they put him on the show Super Nanny to try to get one of these strict disciplinarian Super Nannies to kind of settle him. And so it shows her, she shows up and says, stop that young man, and then it just cuts to three days later, and she's in a mental institution basically bathing in feces. And like, (laughs) Cartman, Tottenham are Cartman. They will break anyone. I, I, I have a different take on that. Okay. Um, this this is a manager who is one of the the highest paid, one of the most successful of the of the last few years outside of that elite um, Pep Guardiola um, zone. Um, he's the, apart from Guardiola and Klopp. Who do you talk about? You talk about Conte when big jobs come up, mm-hmm. and he's taken on this job with either the most massive amount of naivety, <laughs> or he actually knows what he's going in for thought he'd fancy it and then now has decided he doesn't want to do it anymore but his comments after the Burnley game 
I think they were atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. I have this some of them. Uh, here, here's one snippet of them. Uh, he said, the reality is this, that we lost four games of the last five. No one deserves this type of situation. The club, me, the players and fans, but this is the reality. I came in to try to improve the situation at Tottenham, but maybe in this moment, I don't know. I'm not so good to improve the situation. I'm trying to do everything to change the situation, but the situation is not changing. Someone has to speak about the race for fourth place, and the reality from the last five games is we have to pay attention to not fight for the relegation zone. JJ, it's enough to make me wonder almost how this man has risen to this level, because when you talk about, like, okay, tactics are obviously a huge part of being a successful manager, and he's very good at them, generally. Um, but temperament is too. And I don't know, Mourinho included, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone with just like the worst possible temperament for this job. This guy's all over the place. You see him over the weekend celebrating like Tottenham won a trophy. A few days later, he's talking about them having to fend off relegation and, and basically pining to be fired. And it's like, can't there just be some middle ground where you try to stabilize this rather than, like, the club, the players in this club are going to follow your lead. You're in charge. You're the legend here. You know, like, have some balance. Like, try to bring some calm to this. He's he's all over the place, this guy. I but I don't understand, like, he, as far as I can see, he just wants out, right? Because he kept saying, we have to improve this situation. We have to, this situation. You're the bloody manager. You're the one that manages the team and the situation. And the January window is closed. So what you got now, you have to manage with. Or you just realize, I don't have the tools where I can be winning stuff or definitely going to make fourth. Therefore, I'm done. I'm out. One or the other. Hearing some of his quotes, I was reminded of a man I just mentioned, Mourinho. And... How I heard some things from Conte, and I was like, that could just as easily be Jose, which inspired me, JJ. I have a, a quick game here we're going to okay. play. It's called Conte or Jose. I'm going to read you a quote, and I want you to guess which one of them it is that said it. Do we have any funky music for Not this Not a single thing. This is just bare bones. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay, first quote here. There are things that are individual that are down to individual qualities and individual mistakes. Basically, I cannot say much more than that. Oh, Josie. That's Mourinho. Very good. Very good. You're one I for one. not to speak. <laughs> uh, the next one. Uh, let's see. Which one do I want to go with here? I'll go with this one. The players are always the same. The club changes coaches, but the players remain the same. But the result doesn't change. Antonio Conte. That was Conte just over this past weekend. That is su that's the quote. That is such a Mourinho thing to say. <laughs> yeah. What was <laughs> it? What was it Josie said? He said... Uh, si same player's new manager, right? That was yeah. his version of that. It's the same yeah. thing. Uh, okay, next one. Um, you're two for two. Very good. I think for the work that we are doing, I don't deserve. We don't deserve this. Uh, Conte. That's right. Conte again from this past weekend. Uh, let's see. Let's go with another one here. Uh, I cannot speak about the progress I want to make because I don't have the players I want. Josie. Yep, that's Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, finally, I, I had to slightly change this, otherwise it might give it away. But uh, oh. We are doing everything to change the situation, but it's not enough. This many defeats, this doesn't happen to me. 
Oh, that's Conte. That was Conte over this past weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there are oh. just so many similarities between the things that these guys say, and only Tottenham could bring that out in these legends. They break everyone, JJ. They are the Cartman of football. Yeah. Well, uh, Conte, uh, who was advising him? They're like, uh, Antonio, would you like to go to Spurs? This is a team that I have not heard of. <laughs> is this a team that is competing for top four? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure, sure. Uh, is this a team that can pay me a lot of money? Oh, definitely. Definitely can pay you a lot of money. Is this a team that attracts strong and experienced players that could win a league? Sorry, what? Is this a team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Got a, sure. one of the best strikers in the world. And you know like, what Conte thinks of strikers. He says it's more important to have a make a mistake with your with a wife than a striker, I think was his quote. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. On paper, I don't know. I think one day, I almost feel like we need to have a psychologist on the show to talk about Tottenham and just like this self-fulfilling prophecy. Because it's not that they're not like, yeah, they they have weak spots on the team. There are players who who struggle here and there, and, and maybe aren't as good as what you get at some of the teams above them. But like, losses to Burnley don't happen because they're not good enough. Like, I, I sometimes wonder if all these. These self-fulfilling prophecies are coming true. All of, all the quotes we hear, the Chiellinis, it is the history of the Tottenham. You know, who was it? Uh, Sir Alex Lads at Spurs. Like, these quotes about this club all exist for a reason. No matter what the year is, or who the manager is, or who the players are, or what stadium they play in. It's generations of this. Like, how can that be? There's a, there's a Gaelic football team in, in Ireland called Mayo. And they have been in so many All-Ireland Finals, I think, in the last 20 years and have lost every one of them. They make the early 90s Buffalo Bills look like a success. <laughs> and a columnist wrote about them and used a phrase which caused uproar, calling the Mayo team, I think it was congenital losers, hmm. meaning it's genetic. Losing is passed down. And that appears to me what you're saying about Tottenham. That is sad. That's too, too, too harsh. I think, but yeah. <sighs> I'll tell you what. Let, let's let me let me take that in. Let me take a break. Let me do a lap around the room, okay? Uh, and then when we come back, JJ, it's time for JJ's favorite game. You were inspired by some game show that I've never heard of. Nineteen seventies English game show called Blankety Blank, I guess. Yep. A very original, creative name. We did it last year. We're going to play MLS season preview blankety blank uh, when we come back to help you get ready for the season. All right? So still a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Jesus. Worlds colliding. Oh, yeah. And hearing John Champion's calls from last season's MLS Cup final, which feels like it was only about three days ago. But here we are. We are back. We are on the doorstep of MLS's season beginning, JJ. MLS blankety blank. For those who don't remember uh, how it worked last season, how could you forget? Um, I will give you a sentence and then simply fill in the blank and explain. 
Um, so I, I got five of them here, five blankety blanks. Um, this show was popular. Uh, I would imagine so, but it was at a time when there was only so many channels. So, so it had no—it popul- it had, it had no choice but to be popular. It, it was popular enough that they had a remake of it uh, with David Williams, who some people re- will I believe remember it's pronounced from. Williams. No, Williams. My—I'm mm, sorry, I can't say that. It doesn't, changed, it doesn't compute. I think he may have changed the stage name to Williams. <laughs> um, and um, you'll remember him from the Little Britain sketch comedies. So he. Um, he was he hosted it, so I guess it was Poppy. Okay, well here we go. First one, you ready? Yep. Um, let's see. Who? Uh, you can go first. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go first if that's okay with you. It all makes all right. sense. All right. All right. Uh, first blankety blank here. The player I'm most excited about this year is blankety blank. JJ, I'm going out west to with a teenager named Cade Cowell from San Jose. Oh. Okay. Yep. Eighteen years old. Probably among the most exciting young players in the league right now, uh, maybe the most exciting under the age of 20, showed flashes of, of brilliance really as a 17-year-old, made MLS's all-star team. Now he's got a long-term contract with San Jose. I think we see him take a leap this year where like what were flashes before become more consistent. Um, and I think you could even see this guy play his way into the national team picture. Uh, he made his debut with the, the senior team and got capped in the friendly against Bosnia-Herzegovina last December. But I'm not saying that he's on the World Cup roster or things like that, but I think that this could be a season where maybe it, it, he gets on that radar in a different way. Now, it's interesting because even with Wando gone from San Jose, there's a world where they still have one of the more fun attacks maybe in the league with Cal, uh, Jeremy Obobese, Espinosa, Jamiro Montero has now been traded there from the Philadelphia Union. Um, so... Cal could have opportunities, and now we'll find out if he's ready to be a focal point. And, and possibly even, I, I talk about the national team, I mean, there's talk of him being on the, the picture of some of Europe's biggest clubs that could be interested in him. This could be a season where he really makes a name for himself in that way. So, uh, yeah, Cade Cowell, I'm on the lookout. Although there's chaos, it seems like, happening with that club right now. It seems we'll like talk Ma- about that. Matias Almeida just like wants no part of being, <laughs> being there. Um, but whether or not that negatively impacts Cal, I'm going to say no. Uh, he's still going to have a big season. Uh, who do you have, player mo- you're most excited about this year? My player hasn't even kicked a ball yet in MLS, but I'm super excited when that time comes in the summer. Lorenzo Insigne, who mm. anyone who listens to this podcast knows how much I love this guy. The fact he's come to MLS and I can go and watch him is, is special. Um, and aside from the mouth-watering numbers... Uh, after taxes, he will earn $8 million a year, making him MLS's best paid player. But the fact that this is a player, Andrew, arriving in MLS at the peak of his powers and just after capturing a European Championship trophy with Italy, that that, that really has me excited. Um, as good as the atomic ant Sebastian Javinko was, he arrived after a couple of years being a bit part player in Europe. Insigne is no bit part player. Spent a decade at Napoli, his stats... 421 games, 116 goals, 91 assists. He's been a key man in an Apple side that, for me at least, played some of the most exhilarating football in Europe, albeit without the major trophies and honors. Uh, Insigne has only two Italian cups to his name. There should have been a Scudetto in there. Uh, but if you want a mental picture of what Insigne can do, what he's going to bring to the league, think of his brilliant run and curled shot goal against Belgium in the Euro 2020 quarterfinals last summer. Yeah, That... That gets me excited. So I'm glad you bring that up because I kind of want to expound on that with our next blankety blank, JJ, 
which is blankety-blank are primed to take a big step forward this season. And building off of what you said there, Toronto FC is who I have identified for that um, because of everything you just said with Insigne, still in his prime, and like a guy who could light this league on fire, potentially. I, I, would you say he's in that category of like, in terms of best players to transfer into the league, is he there with, I would say it's like David Villa, uh, I think Zlatan, even at his age, was still of that level, which we're kind of seeing, because he's still gone on and been a great player in Serie A since then. I, I, I would put Beckham in there. Um, I don't think Beckham, but... Um, okay. He he transformed the league in a different way, but uh, yeah, I know that I know the player profile you're thinking of, and I think Insigne is one of those. Because like Lampard and Gerard Henri, those are ones that they were just kind of a little bit too out of their prime. I think, um, even though Henri still had great moments, Lampard and Gerard fewer. But yeah, I don't know if the, if I have him quite in that category. Uh, David V is probably number one for me, but Insigne is he's right that he's close. He's close. But like that aside, I, I say Toronto to take a big step forward because they were terrible last year. Only uh, Cincinnati were worse in the East. And then they go out, they make the biggest move in Insigne, but they also go out and get probably the the best manager that they could get in Bob Bradley. Um, those are two hugely impactful moves for this team. Uh, there are questions there, of course. You know, I, We'll see what they have at fullback. Um, that, I think, right now is probably their biggest question mark, but I don't know. I mean, all of a sudden you, you look at the roster and you just kind of think that there's there's almost there's almost no choice for me other than to say they look like a playoff team. Salcedo joining uh, from, uh, he joins Toronto FC, the Mexican legend that he is. Alejandro Pozuelo still there. Uh, Michael Bradley now in defensive midfield. Ayo Akinola back from injury after missing last season. Um, and then Insigne, of course, joining in July. So I for me, it's them. I think they were 13th a year ago. There's no way they'll be that low. No, and it, it also depends how quickly, and we've seen it at, at LAFC with an entirely new roster, how quickly Bob Bradley can get Bob Bradley ball going. And if he can, then you're right. They just will be better. Yeah. Um, I have Nashville as my blank that are primed to take a big step forward this season. And I know what people are going to say, but in Nashville's first two seasons, 2020, they were seventh in the East, a playoff team. 2021, third in the East playoff, beaten but only on penalties by the Philadelphia Union in the conference semifinals. Now they enter the Western Conference because of their realignment into that division. They have the meanest defense in MLS. They only lost four times all season, which is really no joke considering, you know, it's MLS. They did they did draw too much. There's no question about that. But this is a solid outfit that should be in the playoffs and could go a couple of steps further than last season. Now the concern big concern is that the reliance on Hanny Mukhtar and attack hasn't really been addressed. I don't see Teal Bunbury doing a whole lot more, but who knows? Can Sean Davis really be a useful aid to the, I hate to say it, aging Dax McCarthy? We shall see. I like that move, that Sean Davis acquisition. You like that? I really do, yeah. All right. I'm betting on Walker Zimmerman and that defense to keep Nashville front and center for a third year. So I guess what I'm saying is, it's been gradual progress from them. Pretty good progress, actually. And uh, I think they can take another step. I like it. I agree with all that. That's a good good shout by you. Um, all right, next one. I think blankety blank was the biggest move of the offseason. I mean, I, I kind of danced around it with Lorenzo Insigne 
I think that kind of almost has to be the answer, but I'm going to go with a different one for the sake of varying things up a little bit, JJ. I think... Jerdan Shachiri. ...was the biggest move of the offseason. That's right. Jerdan Shakiri <laughs> is how we pronounce it here in the Americanized version as he joins the Chicago Fire. And look, this is also, you know, not to the level of Insigne, but also a very big-name player who is of a relatively young age making this move into MLS. And maybe it flew under the radar because of the Insigne move, but this is like... For Chicago, this is kind of like, hello, like, wow, this is this is potentially huge. $7.5 million designated player in a deal from Lyon. Didn't work for him in France. He couldn't wait to get out, and it seemed like they were quick to usher him out. Um, but like we've seen what he can be when he's the focal point of an attack, whether it's for Stoke, whether it's for his national team in Switzerland. Um, and now he'll be that, you know, they just acquired Casper Shabilko from Philadelphia as well, which will be important, but like, don't, don't get it twisted. This attack is going to be about Shakiri. uh, only 30 years old, wants to be informed for the world cup, says his goal here is clear to win trophies. So yeah, Jordan Shakiri uh, for the Chicago fire. Who do you have? Uh, I think Alan Velasco was the biggest move of the off season in the context of where he went, really. So FC Dallas talked about a new era when they announced the signing of Velasco, and it really does feel like that. So only, I think, last season, a couple of months ago, towards the end of the season, when we were winding down on, on, on MLS, on this podcast, we talked about how Dallas needed to figure out something beyond just being a development from within club and maybe be less frugal. And the signing Velasco for $7 million represents that as they look to replace one exciting teenager in Ricardo Pepe with another exciting teenager from Independiente. Uh, Velasco was, was one of the top young prospects in Argentina. And should he do well in MLS, Independiente stand to make additional money once certain targets are hit. There isn't a lot of people predicting much change in league position for FC Dallas, despite adding a winger of Velasco's stature. But this feels like a big chance or, to change the outlook for the hunts, basically. That, hey... We are going to do things differently. We're going to be a little less, a little less, as I said, frugal, and we're bringing in top quality South American players um, who have youth on their side. Velasco is nineteen; he could make a big impact in that side. Yeah, because it's always the thing that has seemingly held them back from like being a consistent elite team. Yeah, it's like they don't want it. It's like they get so far, and that's good enough. But yeah. you know, just to keep to put bums on seats in Dallas, this is the kind of player you need to sign. Agreed. Uh, all right, next one. I really have no idea what to expect out of blankety blank this season. Um, I JJ went with LAFC. Two enormous question marks Good hang choice. over hang over their season. Uh, obviously, a new manager in Steve Chirundolo, um, and their star player in Carlos Vela. I mean, Chirundolo is a question simply because even though you know, he's from within their structure with Las Vegas, probably won't change a ton in terms of how they play. But it's still a guy who's overseeing his biggest job to date. Uh, for the first time. And with Vela, I mean, we're not far off from from him being like Bob Bradley had wanted him to be, like the Messi of this league. But then injuries have really changed the conversation about him and what kind of player he's going to be. Is he still great? Or is tra- his, his trajectory kind of one headed towards sort of being done as, a, as an elite player? Uh, Kellen Acosta comes in, of course, could be a massive move for them. Franco Escobar joining as well could be a massive move too. Even acquisitions like Ryan Hollingshead, Ismail Tajuri, Shroudy, um, these could all be important. But it's a lot of new pieces that they're going to try to fit together. Um, so we'll see. I mean, look, 
there's there's a route here for them to rise once again to being one of the best teams in the West. If you look at that attack, Arango, Brian Rodriguez back, and if Vela is Vela, then they could be great, truly great. But I guess it sounds so simple to say, but I guess it's Vela for me. Like he's what makes them such a big question. Um, because we just don't if he's not playing then they'll be average or below average maybe out of the playoffs but if he's playing and playing great they could be one of the best in the league so when your success kind of hinges on one player the way I feel like theirs might it makes them a total question mark uh, I went with San Jose Earthquakes <laughs> okay um I honestly didn't think Mateus Almeida would be around long enough to make it to year three but here we are starting I don't think he, year... he did either yeah we're starting year four um, this is some quotes from him in the last month or so. This is the fourth year that I'm given the chance to coach at this club and this league, which I'm thankful for. I have 10 months before I'm free. <laughs> and obviously, whenever this happens in football, there's always interest. There's personal interest and there's interest from other people. I live day by day. I can't avoid that there's people that try to sign us as a coaching staff. I was very clear at the end of last season with both the owner and our GM, and I was very clear with them at the beginning of this season as well. But I live day to day, and I always try to give it my max, which seems like just like an influencer's Instagram post. Um, <laughs> has this gone well? Not really. Will it get better? No evidence to suggest it will. Why might it get better? Cade Cowell, Jeremy, Jeremy say, uh, the signing of Jan Gregus, the signing of Montero from the Union. But then there's other things that make me wonder. Uh, Tom Bogart says that Almeida spent preseason, preseason lining his team up in a 3-4-3 with Jackson Ewell at centre-back. Hmm. Oh. Well, we'll uh, see. But Ewell is, bu- Ewell is bullish about the team, Andrew. Uh, this is what Ewell had to say. This is our fourth year with Mateus. And to be honest, the cohesiveness within the group I don't think has been stronger. We brought in some really, really good guys, guys with personality who have been in MLS, who've been in a lot of locker rooms. Being here for a while and seeing how San Jose works, I think this is one of the stronger teams that we have. So we're not too focused on the outside noise and what's happening. Even the coach only speaks about day in and day out. We're getting ready for the game on Saturday. Of the MLS Boffins that you all know, uh, only one of them have San Jose at seventh place in the West. That's the best they have them. Everybody else in the Brains Trust has them at 11th, 12th, and 13th. Hmm. Yeah. So... I it kind of I don't not, I don't know what like it's not like they've got bad players but you know he could he's he's had situations not unlike Bielsa where you know they'll play man for man and get caught open um so I I don't know what to expect I honestly it don't It sounds like you way, do They'll be bad Yeah it doesn't sound like you don't Yeah but know like what... I said you know I did try to say why it might may go like Grey Goose is a good sign in Kid Cowell, like you didn't you sell about- it. You didn't sell it hard enough. I'm sorry. No, you sold. Okay. You only sold the negative, JJ. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Okay. And then finally, uh, I think Blankety Blank are the best team in the league. It wasn't with uh, at least a little bit of pause that I said this, but uh, I don't know. Call me old fashioned. Looking back at last season, but I went with the Revs. I went with New England. Uh, um, false. And there's. <laughs> I say it with some pause because they've lost Tejan Buchanan. Um, to Club Bruges. Uh, they're going to lose Matt Turner, of course, to Arsenal later this summer. There's a chance that it sounds like they're going to lose Adam Books uh, this summer as well. It sounds like they tried to get rid of him uh, just recently, the most recent transfer window, and it didn't go through, but they're going to try again. Um, but they're still loaded. Uh, and like 
And what's more is you look at how they're loaded and you can see, okay, this is a team that is just straight up going for it. Uh, when you bring in guys like Josie, Omar Gonzalez, Sebastian Legette, like this is not a team building for tomorrow. Like this is this is about right now. You know, we saw what we were, what we were last season, really, really great, but just like couldn't quite get over the top. So they're going to try to bring in guys who they believe are capable of, of doing that, who have done that. Uh, so, I mean, lots of talent all over the place. You know, Josie is the interesting one. We talked about that and we kind of said that like, it's fitness, not necessarily talent. That's his issue. So if you look at the way this could go for New England, you know, like Adam Buxa, while he's there, might be more of their mainstay. And then if he departs over the summer, as is what's expected, well, then Josie can slot in. Like, it's not like they, they may not need to ask Josie to be the guy for them all throughout the season. If he comes in kind of midsummer, gets in form, and then that may be ideal for him rather than having to carry the load week in, week out. So we'll see. Carlos Heel, obviously reigning league MVP, tremendous player. Um, but here's the thing that I wonder about them. And, you know, we're thinking of MLS Cup and, and Supporter Shield and stuff like that. I'm with this team kind of thinking a little bit more about, like, right now and the CONCACAF Champions League, which they advanced to the quarterfinals by default. Um, they could do this. Like, I think that they could do this. And, you know, it's great to win an MLS Cup and Supporter Shield, but lots of teams have done that. Only one can win the CONCACAF Champions League. I think Bruce Arena would love to be that guy, and I think they're going to go for it in a way that, you know, teams have tried before, but I think that this is something to keep an eye on. I think they could really make a run in that competition and, and go down in, in history for MLS. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Okay. I think the best team in the league, Andrew, are NYCFC. Wow. And it's not just that they are champions. It's the way they became champions and the way then that you evaluate the opposition. So when NYCFC played your record-breaking New England Revs in that conference semifinals, they looked comfortably the better drilled side. Did the game go comfortably? Nope. But NYCFC had a style, pattern of play that was just superior to, to uh, Bruce Arena's New England. And if you look at this year's pretenders to their throne, and you, you can call me out here, Andrew, if you think I'm wrong, NYCFC are still the best. They are a better unit than Seattle, Portland, or New England. Now, what Bob Bradley can conjure up with that pretty tasty offense in Toronto that we talked about, that remains to be seen. But NYCFC were the best in the league at creating chances via possession, via pressing, and via set pieces, as Matt Doyle notes on MLSsoccer.com. Could, for example, James Sands sojourn in Scotland be a negative? Maybe. NYCFC at this moment still have the league MVP in Tati Castellanos. So in a way, keeping him would be just, it would just further cement my opinion. Will they retain the crown? Who knows? Because this is like a league competition that morphs into a cup competition. It is unpredictable. But as we sit here at the start of a new season, they are not just MLS champions. They are also MLS's best team. I mean, look, they're, they are, they're they, obviously in no the conversation. Question. Um. They're certainly in the conversation for that, and I would even point to things like the fact that they were, you know, they had injuries at the end of last season and still were able to withstand them and go on and and win the trophy. Like, important injuries. Uh, so yeah, I won't say you're wrong. I I disagree slightly, and I I'm saying New England, but NYCFC would be the other team in that in that realm for me, mainly because of what you said, the way they played against New England. Um, but I don't know that I would look at a one-game sample size 
in my determination of who is better. No, I'm not. I'm just. I I, I look mm-hmm. at all the other opposition, and I, I I just think they play the best football, and it's been winning football. Fair enough. Well, there you go. That was. Now everybody's ready for MLS season to officially get underway this weekend. So yeah. there you go. It's back. It was a baby. nice little nice little primer there, I thought. It and is. I enjoyed enjoyed your musical accompaniment. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's back. Uh before we get out, JJ, we have to mention, of course, the US women, they won the She Believes Cup. No surprise there. Five nil. Uh, in the finale, they looked excellent. All really the the last two games were a clinic. A um, lot of young players rising to the forefront. Katarina Macario scoring a couple. Mallory Pugh is turning into one of the best players on the team. She scored a couple. Um, and it capped off what was a an even greater week for them as they settled their equal pay suit with U.S. soccer for $24 million. Um, it, now, just a couple things on this. Um, it's, there was a lot of celebrating that went on from the players, which I fully understand because this was a, this was a long battle. And even though the net number twenty four million was not necessarily what they initially wanted, um, it, it it's still a lot. It's a lot more than what U.S. Soccer had initially offered. So they they won in that way. But it, it serves two other things that I think need to be brought up as well. One, I think you have to read into it as an acknowledgement from the U.S. Soccer Federation that they have not necessarily done right by these women. Um, and I think that's that's important. I think the women were looking for that kind of acknowledgement because that's important for moving forward. Um, and I think it's also a sign that the U.S. women are negotiating with partners rather than adversaries, which is how it has felt in the past. Uh, and I say that because this is not done yet. This $24 million, they're not awarded this uh, until the CBA is completed. But now, in seeing this settlement of this suit, I think it gets us to a place where we now believe that these CBA negotiations are going to be completed and that this well, this will come to fruition. And I know well, not ev- Bo- not everyone thinks that. Well, as Bodur pointed out on in The Guardian, the, the deal is contingent on the ratification of that new contract between the Federation and the players, but it's tied up in part because U.S. soccer president Cindy Cohn has insisted that the men's and women's national teams come together with the Federation to figure out the pesky problem of how to pay both national teams equally when FIFA's prize money for the World Cups is hugely unequal. 440 million for the men in 2022 against a proposed 60 million for the women in 2023. So that that is going to be quite difficult to do. And but it sounds like the it, men are on board with that. I'm that sure they been, are. They're, that their representatives have been brought in, obviously, to these negotiations. And it sounds like yes, that's the last hurdle to cross. But it sounds like they're they're really close to What's to it, doing so. A factor too to be to be put into this is that the the women are salaried the men are not the men get their appearance they're on a pay to play yeah so how do you equalize that um well i think i think what they're looking to really equalize is what you just touched on and that's the prize money i mean you look at like the world cup which the women won um prize money for that fifa hands out for men's winners from the world cup i think was 38 million and versus 4 million for the women um and so like that's that to me is is the hurdle that they're trying to get over here and and figure out my guess is i don't know if they would just kind of pull that money together 
um, mm. regardless of what FIFA assigns for each, put it into some pool and then split. Um, but I guess we'll see how they choose to go about it. Um, the, the only reason I say not everyone necessarily agrees that this is that this CBA is going to get done and that this is all worth celebrating. Uh, Hope Solo, JJ, who was one of the original women in, in this lawsuit, one of the original five, she went on social media afterwards and said, read the fine print contingent upon the negotiation of a new collective bargaining agreement. It doesn't exist yet, and it is not guaranteed. If the players had ever been successful in negotiating an equal CBA, there would have been no reason to sue the Federation in the first place. This settlement is not a huge win. It's heartbreaking and infuriating. I guess I understand why she's cynical, because this has been years, but to me, with this, with Cindy Cohn as president, uh, this feels different, and I, I think it feels like this is going to happen. Um, just my final point on, on, on all this is, as well, um, and we skipped over this because when it happened, but January 31st, the NWSL CBA was concluded. And if you're, if, if you're just, uh, a non U S soccer player, if you're a non member of the women's national team and you're an NWSL player and you're looking at the millions being talked about for national team players, this is kind of sobering to read this this from espn this is the new cba nwsl the contract also raises the minimum salary by 60 percent to thirty-five thousand a year with four percent annual increases it includes increased levels of free housing transportation 401k matching contributions health insurance and other benefits according to the league that will increase the average total compensation for players by more than 30 percent to fifty-four thousand over the 2020 uh 2021 season in 2021 uh, it should be 2022 season in 2021 the minimum salary per player was 22,000 prompting the NWSLPA Players Association to launch its hashtag no more side hustles campaign because many players had to work second jobs to get by yeah so you know there's um there's equality to be done up and down the levels it, it would appear and um yeah, I just thought that was an interesting contrast. Yeah, um, and those quality—I mean, those figures are stark. But the hope is that you know, even though this benefits a lot of the U.S. women who were already higher earners, that there is a trickle-down effect. That it, you know, that this is kind of a landmark moment in in something that sports I, and life have been dealing with for for generations. I think until. Until, yeah, exactly. But I think it, you know none of this will ever be solved until the the bread and butter, which is league football, and the and you know the the divisions in which women play football in this country, you know, till it's affordable, mm-hmm. till it, it it's genuinely a professional career you can pursue and earn money from. Um, then we won't get to that place. Well, there you go. What a uh, this was a heavy podcast. Lots lots happening here. Good Lord. Global conflict, Champions League, Premier League, MLS, uh, equal pay disputes. This, this had a little bit of, of everything, my friend. Wow. This is, uh, this is one for the, uh, for the weekend ahead. I think people will need to break this into parts. <laughs> yeah. Ah, well, it was fun. I enjoyed steering the good ship caught offside with you at the helm. <laughs> Uh, yes uh, yucky uh, well anyway my friend I, I hope you have a good weekend I hope uh, you enjoy 
the uh, the League Cup final this coming weekend. That should be a really fun one. Chelsea and Liverpool. That's on if Sunday. If anyone right? wants to, yeah. if anyone wants to join me, I will be at the Monroe in Brooklyn. Oh wow! There you have yeah. it, everyone. Flock to it. I will sign T-shirts and you. And... Nothing makes him happier than being recognized publicly. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have a name tag on when you walk the streets. On the few occasions it happened last year, it was nice. I will say that. Yeah, he loves it. I'm serious. I'm not even joking right now. At any rate, this was great stuff. Enjoy all the soccer to come this weekend. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care, brother. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 